0: You are listening to the In Context podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to uh, another edition of the In Context podcast. Today, I have a friend of mine uh, from down south of the north of England. <laughs> it's about <laughs> as far south of the north of England you can get. He's in South Yorkshire. Is it the border of Nottingham? Yeah, well, border of Nottingham and North Lincolnshire. So you can get to both in 10 minutes, Miles. Right. So it's Doncaster you're at? Yeah. And you're Al Goodaham, uh, pastor. Of what is your church called it's again? just Grace Church, Grace Church. Yeah, Doncaster. What, what part of Doncaster is it? So we're um, we're
0: in Orkley. We're at the bit that used to be the RAF base. You might hear every so often um, uh, a, a kind of aeroplane take off in the background as people jet off on these holidays. Um, so yes, yeah, right, what used to be the RAF base, um, and it was all sold off. Became a little area called Orkley or Hayfield, mm. um, and everything's kind of yeah
1: we're there we've been there for a while so you were about what is it an hour and a half an hour and three quarters from Middlesbrough yeah about that yeah about an hour and three quarters probably yeah so 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 you're at the, the the southern end of the north of England and then uh, we have another I'd say hour north ahead of Middlesbrough before we hit Scotland so we're in quite a massive geographical area the north of yeah. England but Although context change from rural to, to, to city, to, to, to town and, and seaside, uh, pretty much we struggle with many of the same things, don't we? So just describe your context a little bit for us, please, uh, Al.
0: Yeah, so um, our context is a little bit different. I mean, Doncaster is a phenomenally needed place. So when we were looking at planting in 2006, 2007, we, we kind of could pick 10 places with over 10,000 people with no Bible teaching church. Um, and you could replicate that um, as you go slightly further out of Doncaster. Um, so the area we're in used to be an RAF base. That was all sold off um, when Peel Holdings bought the land to put the Doncaster Airport or Doncaster Sheffield Nottingham whatever it is else airport there. Um, so it's an area that wasn't that big when we first moved here. It was only about probably 800 houses, but it would have all the divisions of a town. So not far from my house, there's a big eight bed, massive house that um, used to be the base commanders, although since it was the base commanders, it's been a, a cannabis factory and has now been bought by a builder who's done it up and repaired all the work from where the hydroponics were in. Um, but you've also got kind of middle a middle class estate, but then you've got um, houses that were bought by fairly unscrupulous landlords. And then you've got uh, another section of housing that was bought by a housing association. Um, So it's it's very mixed, and that's then changed since we've been here. There's been loads of buildings, so the area's doubled in size, and there are currently another 140 houses, plans for another 160, and an outline plan of commission's gone in for another 3,000 houses, Mm. Um, most of which, well, only
1: 10% of which are affordable
0: housing, as they call it.
1: Right. So, like, gentrification's happening, uh, big time, pretty similar to a lot of areas uh, of need at the moment. So, so what's happening with the original folks who lived there? Then, if if this place is becoming more middle class, what's happening to the indigenous people, the the working class people?
0: Yeah, so it's just it,
1: it's ended up with quite a divide. So the primary
0: on used to be the kind of school that you didn't want to send your kids to,
2: yeah. um,
0: but then we appointed a new head teacher who's been very good at just kind of raising standards and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and that that's led to um, a change in those who, who are coming, just as the middle-class folks have come in, they want them at an improving school. Um, and then we've got folks driving in from all the villages roundabout about now to bring their kids. So what we've ended up with, instead of having a school where everyone knew everyone, and I used to know every kind of kid by name, um, it's now a much bigger school. There's about 500 kids there, but they're they're from a much more mixed background. But you've got your kind of very driven middle-class parents who are all about education but you've also got your kind of working class salt of the earth kind of people who who struggle a bit with that it's, it's brought more tensions in it's probably more divided than ever in that way
1: yeah it, it, it's it's weird isn't it because you you set off to to uh, plant a church in a particular context and within how many years is it five or six years it, it starts changing yeah so how have you developed your ministry to uh deal with this change within the, the culture and uh, aspirations and, and and the actual uh community yeah well i think i mean we we spent
0: quite a lot of time Kind of working through with our folks that came with us to plant because we bought a group of 25 people from the church that we planted from um, at Bessica and we were able to bring them with us and we did a lot of training with them on um, you know not making middle class values gospel values mm-hmm. and working hard on loving people we did lots of training with our under school teachers on some of the issues they may face with some of the kids that might come through um, we used to have a a delightful little girl. Who, when she was in trouble at home, used to run away from home on a Sunday morning. Used to climb out of her window and escape to church because that was the place she <laughs> felt safest. And we would just we would just ring mum and say, you know, we've we've got her,
2: mm.
0: um, and she'd let her stay. So actually, there was a lot of work kind of done training for it. But then actually, we've just ended up with a a more diverse congregation in that way and added to the complexity of that is some of the folks we had coming from the housing association association area have been evicted by the council and moved on because of debts or um, all sorts of complex situations so the thing we found is the church family is never very stable there's always incomings and outgoings um, and I think just helping working hard with getting people to love people and understand where they come from and battling some of the class divides you get. We don't want anyone to come to church and feel like an imposter.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but it, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because different, even just working class cultures are different, different places. <laughs> so in some places, you know, the the guy up the front wearing a shirt to preach or lead on a Sunday would be seen as off-putting. Actually, interestingly around here, folks who've come from the estate, because some of them have an RAF background, yeah. so they really dress up to come on a Sunday. <laughs> Um, so kind of navigating some of those things has been uh, quite interesting. But we just work hard with our folks on look, love people, welcome people for who they are, mm. and care for them, and don't make assumptions about what you think their values would be.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've just been uh, chatting with Steve Neal on his podcast, and uh, we were talking about the benefits of being cultural outsiders and indigenous and just saying that just as Christians in general were cultural outsiders, and uh, all of us whether we're from a working class or middle class background are always constantly trying to navigate the the cultural divide and uh, yeah uh, i think we had similar issues within our church where at one point we were heavily dominated by working class people many of which were unbelievers and and that kind of church was a bit weird on a sunday because even christians felt a bit uncomfortable because it was like it was great to have the unbelievers there but it was like dominant, it must have been like 60, 40. And yeah. then I'd say working class to middle class was probably uh, 80% working class to 20% middle class. So some middle class people would come in and feel uh, intimidated, and quite rightly too, because I, I did some things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah. just trying to, I think my biggest problem was helping the working class people to realize they've got to make. It's not just about making them feel comfortable in church, but making the middle class feel as comfortable as they are as well. So making everyone who turns up feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, it's that stuff on identity, isn't it? You know, Paul does it in Ephesians two with you and Gentile and like he says, you know, you just scrap those categories. You are yeah. a new man in Christ. And it's that it's that same challenge for us, isn't it? You know, the danger is we all think we've got to shift one way to make one group of people feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's much more that, we've got to realise what our new identity is in Christ. And that there's gonna be You've got to love the fact that Paul in almost every one of his epistles writes bear with one another in love. What's he assuming that we are gonna really get on each other's nerves at times? Yeah. And we're gonna our cultures are gonna rub up against each other. We've just gotta keep the gospel absolutely central. And I guess that's the challenge, isn't it, as a pastor and a leader. When those when those conflicts come, it's helping both sides just bear with each other in love.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh... It's, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? And again, I think uh, something that t- took me by surprise. Anyway, I, I don't know if it took you by surprise because I set off aiming to reach a specific type of people group. And when I found out that we, we were dominated by a, a different type, it just meant that I had to adapt. Uh, I got very comfortable as a working-class man just serving working-class people and then suddenly realize that I'm going to have to change some of my illustrations here and adapt my preaching because I, I, I couldn't use illustrations about drug dealing and the police all the time yeah. because people it was alien to other people. Uh, yeah, so it, it kept me on my toes. I found it helpful as a preacher, helped me uh, stop being so lazy. Uh, also, in my discipleship. I couldn't be so blunt and, and black and white with yeah. with the middle class people as I was with the working class people. So, have you had any uh, similar uh, struggles?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it's interesting. We, we just find there's just there's a difference in expectation of banter. Mm. So, you know, with some of our working class, I remember one la- one lady off the estate chatting to her about our Christmas service. We we used to do before COVID this kind of mad what we call an impromptu nativity. Yeah. So some of the parents have got this chip on their shoulder that, you know, their kids never get to be Mary and Joseph. They they're always in the chorus line and they're never on the stage. So we do this mad service where we write an impromptu nativity and you can come as any character you want. Right. And we will find you a place. You know, we could end up with four Josephs and eight Marys or we seem to have lots of people who like to be Herod and his henchmen and get to kill people. Um but I remember one time this this lady was she was just testing me out, you know, a bit of banter. How's how's he going to react? So she said, "Yeah, well, well, I'm going to come, but I'm going to come dressed up as the devil. So will you find a place for me in your nativity?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely fine." She was like, "What, really?" I said, yeah, you'll be sat in the corner of the stable crying because the saviour of the world has come. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, "Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely coming, and the kids will come." Oh. And you know we had our son come as Batman and all sorts of stuff. We just we, we just we found a way just to incorporate them. In. But it's just there's a big difference in that banter. Do you know I mean with someone from a more middle class background? One, they would never ask that question.
2: Yeah,
0: and they would they would be thinking, "Oh, what are all the things I have to do to fit in? What what do you want me to do to fit in?" Rather than, "Okay, how happy are you to adapt to our sense of humour and our banter?" Yeah. Um, and actually, I quite I, I kind of quite like that. So I before I was a pastor, I taught in a a really rough and failed off there on everything. Um, when I went for my interview, the kids wedged the bin under the door and locked all the candidates in the room so that they couldn't get out to go for their interview, which <laughs> I kind of loved. So actually that that kind of, was quite good preparation really for working in this kind of environment. But yeah, that's that's kind of one of the differences I think. And this, you need to spend a lot of time with people I think to build relational capital um, yeah. and cycling is much more informal. So whereas, you know, with some of our folks who are, more middle class and um, just in their attitudes and aspirations, I, I might chuck them a fairly decent book and we'll read a chapter a week and we'll discuss it and we'll, we'll work. I've always worked really hard on them to drill education because they're quite like the ideas, whereas actually with our folks and more working class backgrounds, they're not necessarily wanting to read a book, but they will have a really good in-depth discussion with you about a passage of the Bible and they, they will want to get down to work. What does this look like? What does this mean for these? So they're quick to get to application in a way that I think is really helpful. So both have their, both have their strengths. Both are bright. Both can get really complex ideas. There's just a different way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and with one, the challenge is just to be you know a bit less formal and a bit more just prepared to have conversations with people and spend time with them. And those things will come up at more random points. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the others, because they're used to a diarized life, I've got to kind of fit the diarized slots for that, that work. Hmm. But then that's, I mean, that's a massive generalisation, isn't it? Because we've got other folks who've been off this that who absolutely love reading it, and they're always like, oh, give me a book, give me a book, I want to read this, I want but you know, it's yeah, you've got to deal with each person as an individual.
2: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know? And yeah. get your folks,
0: I think, to... yeah.
1: Yeah, you do, because we, we do generalise, we do stereotype and the reason they are stereotypes because, as a rule, most people in a certain community behave in a in a certain way. But everyone is an individual in that, and 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 I, and I say that as middle class people looking at working class people thinking they're all the same. And and for me, uh, yourself uh, being planted out of Bessica, which I would see is quite a, a middle class academic highbrow conservative oh, yeah. evangelical church. Uh, probably wouldn't put you or anyone out of that church into Council of State Ministry if I was going to choose a church. But the ironic thing is, from Bessica we have uh, the guy who trained you is now in Grace Mount, is that right? Were you yeah, Bessica? yeah, Ken, yeah. Ken, yeah? Yeah, right. you, Then you trained Matt Oliver, and he's in Hardwick? Yeah. So, again, yeah. explain how that that's happened then, because <laughs> from, from Bessica, a traditional middle-class uh, academic Conservative evangelical church is is impacting free deprived areas. So, how did that come about? Yeah, so I think, I
0: mean, I think, I mean, our our journey from planting was interesting because initially we planted into a a school not far from Bessica. Right. But but we moved out to this part of the area because we we kind of felt the need here. But what we found was the people here really working. So, we were almost getting a bus worth of people to take, you know, four miles to this other area. So that's when we moved the church here, lock, stock, and barrel, mm-hmm. and, and that's where we've really kind of found traction, and we've got we've got people engaged. And um, I think partly, I, I guess my wife and I had always had a heart mm-hmm. for folks who've had a harder kind of start in life, just mm-hmm. partly from my experience in school, and um, just working with those kind of kids who've not got all those advantages. And that, just seeing that actually, as the church in the UK, it is predominantly middle class. And we don't stop and think about those who've not got the opportunity to hear the gospel. So we were quite keen to do that. The church were great at coming with us. Bessica have been incredible at supporting us. You know, they still pay a, a significant chunk of my salary every year mm-hmm. because actually we, we're probably not going to be in a position to do that for the time being. Um, and then Ken, Ken's always had a great gospel heart. Um, and it was Andy Prime's um, little little blog about wanting old donkeys, um, which had I said to Ken, I'd have got in trouble, but Andy Prime got away with it. Um, Just that idea. Actually, he'd got a heart for people and a heart to train people. You know, he'd taken myself on as assistant, and then two other guys after me. Um, Matt, I met through UCCS, um, and he was always desperate to reach the north. And one of the things we wanted to do, I was just aware that it's quite hard to get training um, and get trained up in quite a a, you know a, a mixed or a working class church. You know, we were not awash with finance, but we basically challenged Matt that he had to raise half of his own, and we would provide half of it. Which partly I went to BC and begged for, yeah. um, and they generously gave, um, and some of our own folks gave quite generously. So I think actually we we ended up it, it cost us very little to have Matt for three years part time, mm-hmm. um, and then you know we we were really keen to kind of train him up as much as we could and support him so that he could then go. And we were thrilled when Hardwick came along and they were interested in him you know we'd love to do something similar again mm. um because you know I, I can think of two or three areas right now where in doncaster that, that are hard areas that have no no church they can go to there's a secondary school that i've been in before they invite me in to do a whole day alongside a panel of other people talking about ethical issues mm-hmm. and i've had a few kids afterwards say oh you know okay where could where could we send the kids to find out more yeah. but actually their nearest bible teaching church is two bus journeys away mm. Um you could do the same for a few places in Doncaster um, and a slightly wider field Um so I think one of the things we're quite keen on is just actually we want to be somewhere that helps people think through ministry next steps and then working in those kind of working-class environments and I think for Bessica it just comes from a gospel heart mm. Um I think they would you know they would probably say themselves as a, a as a middle-class church thinking about doing that is hard but but having sent us, I think they would, you know, there would be, there would be scope for them to think about doing it again.
1: Awesome. And again, it it, it it's sad that uh, this story hasn't been heard more. I don't think it for, for me. It's so exciting to see that Ken, uh, a well-respected uh, pastor uh, within FIEC cycles, is 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 a bit of a trailblazer, and I don't think there's been enough noise. Uh, about his move to Gracemount or the fact that he trained and, and sent you or the fact that you uh, replicated that and sending out uh, Matt to uh, Hardwick and this brings it on to the point what with no disrespect quite anonymous in, in if we talk if talking about working class or council estate ministry you wouldn't be the first name that c- came up but y- what i really respect is you just get on with the job uh you, you've got a, a blog that you, you you say what you think you've got so much wisdom to give <laughs> my frustration isn't that enough people aren't hearing hearing you why do you think that is what what has made you so hesitant is it your personality is it because people haven't been listening uh, or do you just want to get you haven't got time to make a noise you're just too busy doing the job
0: well, I think, yeah, I mean, there's probably a mix of those number of factors. One, I, I'm not part of any of the kind of established networks. I didn't get to Oak Hill, so I'm not part of the kind of Oak Hillies. You know I mean, where they, you know, I, I sometimes feel a bit of an imposter when I go to a conference mm-hmm. because actually they all know each other. They've all got this background. Um, I, I'm not really part of any of those kind of networks. Um, I train simply by being a teacher and then coming to BC and then they paid one day a week meeting Northern Cornhill with Steve Palmer when he was there. Um, uh, you know, and that's that's kind of where I've been. Um, I think I, I struggled for a while with immense frustration at stuff in the church in the UK and just not reaching out to working class areas. Um, but interestingly, I, I think probably one of the things that I found most helpful is that for the Bible passage in 1 Kings 19, Do you know, when Elijah has his kind of, you know, I've had enough, I'm going to jack it all in. Hmm. And then God takes him away and feeds him, lets him sleep. <laughs> and then he tells him what he's going to do. And actually, I think, for Elijah, he just says Look, your job is to train up Elisha mm-hmm. and a couple of other guys and and that's where your priority's got to be mm-hmm. you know you're not going to see the nation of Israel turn, but you can influence it by being a link in the chain and tr- training up the next guy. It's fascinating when you get to the New Testament John the Baptist is the kind of Elijah figure, isn't he and John mm-hmm. the Baptist prepares the way for who to come Jesus to come what does Jesus do? Jesus trains twelve and then one hundred and twenty and then it kind of snowballs so I think for me I just I, I guess I don't particularly love the limelight Mm. and you know, I've spoken at a couple of conferences on a couple of things and I'm not a massive fan of that. I don't particularly enjoy networking afterwards. Maybe that's just my character. And maybe that's a bit of imposter syndrome that I don't necessarily fit in those networks. Mm. Um, But I think partly my my experience would be when I've tried to do some of those things, it's maybe taking the eye off the ball of the church that I serve. Mm. Um, And I think probably, my biggest job is to train up the next generation you know we're just doing to timothy at the minute in our in our gospel group on a on a wednesday and that's quite striking that timothy's job is to pass on to others kind of patterns of sound doctrine and a way of living that then we'll see them multiply and go on and i i think that's probably the only way we're going to reach these kind of areas is you know for for churches like ours to be able to train and disciple guys like matt you know and matt matt came partly already formed do you know I mean, and we were just kind of doing a little bit of input with Matt, and then it was great seeing go to Hardwick. and um, we've got a couple of other trainees since who've who've spent a couple of years with us and just helped them seeing just the nature of discipleship in this kind of area that it's much more relational. it's much more about getting to know people. it's much more sometimes you have to be much more blunt with people and confrontational. and um, I think just wanting to to kind of replicate that you know if if we can send one person out every five or six years to lead another church in one of those areas. Actually, at the end of thirty years, we would have six people out pastoring other churches. Um, yeah, and I, I, some of it is just some of it is just that. You know, I, that's where I feel my calling is. Um, the blog is just a way of me letting off steam, <laughs> and sometimes just just reflecting on some of the things I've learned. And if uh, to be honest, it's partly cathartic for me and it's therapeutic. Um, I, I could fall into the trap of looking and seeing how many people have read what article, but I have to fight quite hard not to do that. Um, because actually it doesn't matter it's just you know if that can be used in any way great god can use it but my priority has got to be just pastoring the folks i've got and i I can't remember who it was i heard at a conference but you know he was saying when you look at the church you've given that is god saying to you there are enough souls for you to be responsible for Mm. and part of me thinks uh, okay that that's quite helpful um and when you then multiply that in terms of the folks that we've got that we have reached to through our coffee and through our toddler group and through the football stuff we've done, actually that's a significant number of souls that are, I'm to be praying for and teaching and discipling. And um, without maybe, and that there are guys who are much better than me at doing the raising the profile stuff. You know, I, I've loved and applauded Mez um, and yourself with the Medhurst stuff. So, I mean, you guys are much better at that than I would be. I'm quite happy to sit in the background and support Mm. and just do what I can yeah
1: I think we'd like to get you more up front and, and and share your experience and your knowledge as well though because yeah I think that's it it, it is great you're right uh, that that your main priority is the church is, is where you're ministering to but uh, uh, again i've not, not just got your aunt to praise you but <laughs> i do i do think i do think we would be uh, the people working in our ministry would all be the better for for, for learning from one another i think you've got a lot to say that will educate not just us working in this type of ministry but the wider church as well who needs to get involved in supporting our type of work
0: because yeah I think there's been there's been bits of that done you know FIC have been very good over the last kind of 10 years at just beginning to invite guys you know I've I've done a couple of roundtables I know you didn't particularly like some of the stuff I was saying about our context (laughs) you know you were adamant that you know yeah. It was, just, but I think that's just the difference, isn't it? You know, even in our working class areas, they're different from place to place. Yeah. Um. But actually, I think there's been there's been things like that that have been helpful. Um. You know, I know Lewis Allen worked quite hard to get Mez and I to do the, the Yorkshire, um, the Gospel Yorkshire Day that we did. Um. There are opportunities growing from folks, mm. um, wanting people to do it. Mm. Um, I think I think that's encouraging. But I think you're right. I think there's loads for us to learn from each other. Because mm. the danger otherwise is we do a kind of petit, cookie cutter approach to ministry in working class areas. Mm. We think you know, what just one person is saying stuff, everything has to look the same. Mm. Whereas actually, they're they're incredibly different. Mm.
1: But there are uh, lessons we can learn. So he's this. Uh, I've to do a bit of repenting. <laughs> 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 but but he he's the thing where it's been really difficult for someone from my background. uh in ministry from training uh access to it funding for it uh, from ministry raising finances and support and being taken seriously so there's been a massive battle for me uh constantly getting told that what i was doing was the wrong way and then you've got middle class guys who were trying to do similar work to me uh, who have got similar battles and then so the likes of you and steve Neal and uh, who probably I saw as, as the enemy saying, hang on, they're saying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to take advice from these guys. <laughs> and uh, So I think what I'm happy about is I think over the last couple of years, we've seen changes amongst uh, people who are working in a similar context from different backgrounds are now coming together and supporting one another Whereas Before, I think that one of the problems was there was just so few of us doing it and we were all fighting over this, the scraps, yeah, which was creating a, a, a division rather than a unity. So is, is there any other lessons that could be learned from that? Is there any, just share your experience of it really and, and how it made you feel. Because I was often trying to share about the struggles of the working class in the working class areas. But there's a struggle for the middle class trying to support this work as well, isn't there?
0: Oh yeah, enormous. I mean, I, it's interesting both of us kind of would have a different kind of imposter syndrome yeah I mean so I guess you you would kind of feel maybe a bit of an imposter at an FIC conference when you first go and you know do I fit don't I fit you know I I think there's a a sense of an imposter syndrome as as I meet with like you and Mez you know how are you guys going to receive me as a guy who is undoubtedly middle class working in this kind of area and you know, I, I, I totally got that, that there was some hostility there because we, it did feel like we were fighting over the scraps. You know, there, there was historically not much funding for yeah. working in these kind of areas. And I think traditional views of church planting are really unhelpful. So, you know, the idea that, well, we'll give you three years worth of funding and you go off and at the end of three years, you'll be self-sustaining. I mean, that's never realistic mm. in our kind of environments. And that's where I've kind of loved BEC's willingness. You know, we're what, 14 years in? and they're still paying a significant chunk of my salary and are happy to do so. They treat that as they would treat missionary giving. And I think more middle-class churches need to think like that. Um, and I'm really struck when you read when you read the epistles, Paul talks about there's a kind of flow of money backwards and forwards from those who have it to those who don't without any expectation that they will then be self-sustaining after a certain period of time. It's just where there's need we give to. Uh, I think there's still a battle in some senses over um, not necessarily money resources, although that's still there, but also over people. Mm. There's been a bit of a move of folks being willing to go and work in kind of working class environments and um, partly driven by the raising of the profile that you know, say you, you and Mez have done by being at the hub conference and various other bits and pieces. And um, I still think that's a real challenge though. You know, we've, we've been looking for a while or looked for a while for a, a women's worker because I would desperately love to have a women's worker come and work with us. Mm. But you're looking for someone quite unique Mm-hmm. We kind of need someone with social work background because we can spend quite a lot of time supporting families in team around a child meetings and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually there's that, yeah, there, there is that sense of there are not many of those kind of folks. And there is that danger of competition, isn't there?
2: Yeah. I
0: think one of the things we're kind of looking forward to seeing is as there's more training come online for folks from working class backgrounds, that is is not taking them out of their context, but keeping them in their context. Mm-hmm. we're kind of hoping that some of that bottleneck will go and um, you know I, I think there's lots of issues the way we currently do training Um, we're starting a disciple course discipleship course come september which is called formation just from galatians 419 and of says he wants to see them formed into the image of christ mm-hmm. so we're, we're just going to do um eight evenings a term every term for a number of years and just just look at working together in groups and helping each other understand the Bible's big picture and some systematic theology and then working deep into books of the Bible, but just everyone everyone who comes helping everyone who come do that at the level they're at so that we can become a disciple making kind of culture much more than we we maybe have been because i I can't send our folks off to some of the places that currently exist mm-hmm. um, and I think there's there's challenges on those fronts. Um, There's been great moves, I think, but one of the things I'd love to see is just a bit more partnership between middle-class churches that have got the resources Mm. and those that haven't, and maybe a willingness to say, okay, instead of us as a middle-class church employing another member of staff, we will give that money to a a more deprived area and a church there to help them fund another member of staff. Mm. Um, And I, I think that would be brilliant. And, um, you know, b c have very much done that with us. They, they massively helped fund Matt. And um, we've had some individuals, we had a ministry training with us for two years, who was mostly funded by, by one individual who was prepared to give. Mm. Um, and I, I think that sort of stuff is brilliant. Um, the challenge is we could just replicate that for every ministry. You know, you think of Matt now in Hardwick, you think of Graham. There in keaton you think of Steve in Oldham, think of yourself in Middlesbrough, you think of Steve Walker in Leeds. We could just, you know, and how how do we? And the danger is we all end up competing for the same thing. And part of our challenge, I think, is just to think strategically, isn't it, about that?
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's what the idea about Medhurst came from. Uh, I'm looking to transition. So now Nathan's associate pastor within the next year or so i'm looking to transition out to to focus more on supporting other churches rather than just middlesbrough and hopefully try and replicate something like what scotland have got with 20 schemes uh, initially for the north of england but it'd be great if we could see something for the whole of england as well and again uh, bringing together the middle class and and working class uh, i don't like using these terms but practitioners people who are gospel workers in these areas Uh, because again just why we need middle class and working class developing this training is because we've got middle class and working class people working in these areas so that thing that I disagreed with uh, you you were talking about how working class people won't eat in their home and and that's ridiculous flipping my house is full and Mez pointed out that the reason why my house is full of people eating is because I'm from the estate and I'm not yeah. a middle-class person inviting them around for a meal. People just walk in and open the fridge. <laughs> Whenever I have a barbecue, uh, I've just put a gate on because people just walk in and get a hot dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with Nathan, it's different. He invites people and they don't turn up. So again, s- saying, right, this is a model. Like you say, it's not one size fits all. For somebody like me from the estate, I, I can help them you can help someone like nathan or matt and, and and again it's uh yeah guilty of doing what i was accusing the middle class church of doing was was a bit of paternalism and we as uh workers in in hard to reach places have to be sure we don't just replicate uh in response to how we've been treated by the wider church replicate what what the church has been doing by being closed unwilling to help and and, and being uh, shown a lack of diversity. Yeah, so so, how how have you managed that uh, resentment, uh, bitterness and defeatism are just three, <laughs> three things I've felt in ministry as a working class man? Have you felt similar things as a, as a middle class man in this type of ministry? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think,
0: yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because partly because some of that is that we go into ministry with wrong ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, I have that. I have that quite often. Yeah. I'll, I'll have folks say to me, you know, Al, oh, I think you've done your apprenticeship where you are. I think it's time you moved on somewhere bigger and more strategic. <laughs> and I'm like, but actually, do what that that reveals something I think was probably in my heart when I started ministry.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Whereas actually, I think you know, actually reading missionary stories of folks who took their coffin with them when they went overseas in the 18 hundreds, because actually, I will die in that place. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, would I ever be serving in Doncaster in ministry? I would have said no, because mm. I was pretty determined I was not going to be a pastor. Mm. and I, you know what, I, I'd been to Doncaster because my auntie and uncle live here and I remember it in the miners' strike. And if you'd picked me one place not to come a minister, that would have been up there, <laughs> along with Norwich for different reasons. Um, but I, actually, it's interesting the way God leads us, isn't it? And I think partly it's for me, it's just the reminder of, okay, no one else is going to come here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I think no one else is going to move on to this estate and it's taken years to build up the relationships that we've got mm. and there are still folks who we're building relationships with and you can lose those in a split second and mm. um, because there is there is that slight in you know, you are an outsider will they come in and tell me what to do so I think that there's that challenge isn't there and some of that is just repenting of the fact that 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 is a sinful worldly way of at ministry that you will work your you know work your way from up to a bigger more influential position Actually, it's helpful just to have that reminder that I'm responsible for these souls and I will give an account to them before God. Mm. And therefore, actually, probably 45 is more than I can handle. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's helpful. I think partly it, it's just it's having people you can talk to. You know, Ken has always been a really godly mentor. Mm. So even after I'd planted, he would take me out about every six weeks and we would go for a nice meal. And he would just invite me to talk about how I felt. Yeah. Um, and that, that was incredibly helpful, having someone just a bit wiser. And I remember, you know, his line was, well, just, just teach the Bible. <laughs> and sometimes I think, where's the silver bullet of ministry? You know, after 40 years of ministry, just teach the Bible. But actually, that that was really helpful to have that reminder. I've got to teach the Bible in every context I'm in. Um, I think the disappointments are really difficult. You know, we've seen folks make professions of faith and then fall away. Mm. Um, we've seen other folks be really close and then something happens at a party, and they drift off. And you, you know, next time you see them, they're in a bit of a state, and an unhelpful relationship. Um, I, I think partly the Bible helps remind me that that's just normal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that if that happens to folks who work with Paul, it's going to happen to me. Mm. Um, I think I think it's helpful having a band of guys that you meet with. You know, Graham and I went out for lunch on Monday. Mm. Um, went to Wetherspoon's, so, You know, his second home. <laughs>
2: um,
0: at, you know, I'm meeting up with another guy next Monday. Just we'll we'll go out for something to eat and then just have a walk and just chat together. I think I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things, are, yeah, is just fighting that bitterness, isn't it? When you hear of success stories, the success stories are of big churches or big CU events where you've got hundreds of people coming, and actually our work is just really low and really slow. Um, I mean, what we've had, you know, we had a lady profess faith um, from the estate and then be diagnosed with terminal cancer mm. and doing her funeral mm. 18 months after she had professed faith, having walked through with her, her, you know, her death, mm. praying with her a couple of hours before she died, that Jesus would take her home. Mm. And that, that was, was heartbreaking, but joyful. Yeah. But you kind of think, you know, we've just, we've just got someone who's key and could really be helpful on, you know, in the area because everyone knew her. Mm. And then, you know, God, what are you doing when you, when you take her home? Mm-hmm. But actually, it's, it's a helpful reminder, isn't it, from other guys who kind of kicked me up the pants and just said, "Like God mm-hmm. knows what he's doing," and yeah. she'll have said to these you don't know about. So I think partly it's the band of brother stuff that I found so helpful. Some older brothers, some mm-hmm. guys who are my peers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that that's essential. It was it's a term that's banded about a lot by certain networks, yet very rarely works out in practice. So it's great to see that you've. You've got that, uh, yeah. I struggled to find that, uh, I had to search hard for that. Uh, blessing to have someone like Ken uh, as a yeah. pastor. Uh, I, I planted this church just by accident. I, I asked people to plant the church, and I was told nobody's gonna come. So, my, my mission wasn't to be here long term, it was just to get a church started so somebody who knows what he's doing can take over. So, praise the Lord, we've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You need to write
0: a book, Ian, called "The Accidental Church Planter."
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did it because no one else could be bothered. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, and and but a similar thing. I, like, I, my dream was to get out of Middlesbrough, not flipping plant a church. You know, it was my aspiration to leave the town, not not stay here. And 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 that's been a battle for me because I didn't want to be here.
2: Yeah,
1: fighting my own preference to where I wanted to be and and where God's called me to be. Uh, so my resentment wasn't always directed at at other churches or the middle classes. Often it was directed at God and yeah, a lot of self pity and pity parties and it's and I think that's why we need these Band of Brothers because you get a hug and a, and a bit of encouragement when you need it, but you're also get a kick up the backside when you're being yeah. a baby, don't you? So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I think that's really vital, isn't it? And you need to have the right people, you know. I've been to various ministers' fraternals, and to be honest, one I feel like an imposter, and two yeah. it's all yeah, yeah. Whereas actually, what I really need is a bunch of guys who are prepared to say, "You to know, you are being an utter plank. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you are not seeing what God has done."
2: Yeah.
0: And it, you know, not not in terms of, well, you know, you're in a better position than I'm in. That's the kind of pity party, isn't it? But yeah. guys who just help you see where God isn't working, what God is doing, and who give you that bigger vision. You know that the gospel is the only hope changing the world one life at a time the only hope for the estate mm. is to, for the gospel to change life one life at a time and that's what the job is mm.
1: yeah definitely and and again it's it's the gospel for for all people uh, so so how do you how do you get that across them? because You're middle class, I'm working class, you're on a, we're both on working class, work class areas, but we're both dealing with, with people from, from different cultures. Uh, In America, some liberals who try to be helpful regarding race say that they're colorblind, which a lot of African Americans find really insulting, uh, which it is, because there's an obvious difference. Being different doesn't mean we're not equal. And yeah. how how do we deal with, a lot of people have said to me, look, why are you always going on about class? Uh, there is no class in Christianity. We're all equal, which we are all equal, but we're all very different, aren't we? So so, so, so what do you think is the best, best way to navigate these differences between classes yet kind of remain united? So it's a, a uniting, our differences unite us rather than divide us.
0: Yeah, I think it's helpful for people, isn't it, just to draw out for them what some of the differences are. Mm. You know, we we have in our church folks from working-class areas and folks from middle-class areas. They have a totally different approach to school. Mm. You know, so give me give one example. If I'm called in to see a teacher, Mm -hmm. I I don't go with a whole mix of anxiety and fear and I hated this and will I be berated and made to feel foolish like I was when I was younger. But actually, one of our working-class dads, really struggles with anxiety and he goes intense and ready for a fight. Yeah, Even yeah. if it's actually to be told that his kid's doing really well because yeah. actually school for him was horrific. You know, an yeah. undiagnosed learning disorder and therefore treated as if he was stupid, played up, got in trouble, spent his whole time being told off by a teacher. So actually for him to be called to see the teacher, he's automatically, oh no, he's doing, my kids are doing the same thing I'm doing. There's all these barriers. Da, da. I, I think sometimes it's helping people see the difference between that. I think sometimes it's calling out the middle class lies, isn't it? You know, we're we're quite good, I think, at putting a very thin gospel veneer on the MDF of gospel values. Um, so actually, you know, education—what what does the gospel say about education? It doesn't talk about aspiration.
2: Yeah. It doesn't
0: talk about the education being the means of unlocking life. It talks about Jesus as the root for life. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a challenge for both folks there in the way we think about education in terms of the gospel. And um, there's a challenge for helping people realise just how we talk differently. So for a middle class person, they would kind of prize something that is cool and calm and collected in terms of a presentation. (laughs) If you're presenting the gospel in a middle class, you you want to work your way through some of the objections and you want to answer them very carefully. But actually, for a working class person, they want to see that you passionately care for this. Mm. I mean, actually, they want to see that you're emotionally involved in that. So there's, there's a clash when these two come together. You know, in a in a conversation between someone who's from the working class area and someone who's middle class, the middle class person might feel shouted at mm-hmm. and the working class people, person might think, well, you, you don't care.
2: Yeah. And to be
0: honest, I'm bored with the way you're saying it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So actually, it's partly helping people understand that. I mean, we found it really helpful having meals. There's just a difference in the way you do meals, isn't there? So. You know, in some middle class families, one person holds court and everyone else listens. Yeah. In a working class family, you might have four or five conversations going on at the table at the same time and you might butt in on any one of those and the telly's on in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But
0: actually, neither of those is rude. Yeah. Neither of those is unloving. They are just different. So I think sometimes it's helping people recognise the tension points we have are not gospel points. It's just the way we've been brought up.
1: Yeah. You'll have to tell my wife that as well. <laughs>
0: You know, I have, to, I have to keep telling my wife that when I get told off for too many conversations at the table as well.
1: Yeah. Apparently, it's rude to put tomato sauce on your Sunday dinner, but oh, no, no,
0: that 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 is important. In you can't do that. You can't do that. But yeah, I mean, there's it's just there's loads of those little things, aren't there? That can bizarrely just lead to tensions that don't need to be there. Yeah. And I think partly it's helping people recognise that we did a whole series on the gospel and gospel and culture. Just thinking about working class, got what are some of the middle class values we have that are not gospel values? And actually, where do we see that really positively in the different? So we looked at negatives and positives. So you know, I I love the fact that on the estate, if you're a if you're a pregnant mum, you don't diarise and slot someone in to look after your kids when you go into labour. Mm-hmm. It's just whoever's free on the street will come into your house and look after your kids no matter how long you're in the hospital for now that would freak a middle-class person out but that's a brilliant view of community attitudes to money as well you know middle-class folks save and they're very careful and they can be quite tight i don't think the gospel really penetrates Mm. the opposite problem can be true with working-class folks a lot of ours will give their last 10 quid to someone who's in need even if that means they can't pay for their own gas Mm. which partly means as a church we've got to think through if we're ever short of money how do you do an appeal because yeah. if I do an appeal from the front, who will give the folks who then won't have gas the next week? Yeah,
2: yeah. not
0: the folks who will be busy, you know, going to centre parks.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, it's 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 just thinking through those things and those differences. That's been quite difficult to navigate
1: as a leadership. There's been loads of stuff we've got wrong. And mm. how um, I- how 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 have you dealt with that then? Because one of the conflicts I had was with with some of the middle class people in the church was they thought I was too hard. So. Some of the middle class people are quite quick to say, Oh, we lie, we pretend everything's really good uh, when it's really bad. Yet, working class people do the opposite, they pretend it's really bad when it's quite good <laughs> just because they're after a free ride. So, a lot of people are generous, aren't they? But I, I think the problem is uh, s- sometimes we're afraid to say, Look, regardless of what class you come from, we're, we're all sinners, and uh, I think there's a bit of naivety within. Within some middle class people reaching the working class, in yeah. thinking that they're all victims, which they are. There are some people who are definite victims, but yeah. also there's a few chances out there as well, isn't there?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a really helpful book. A guy called Mike Emlet from CCS written a book, and he gives three categories. So he says we're all saints, we're all sinners, and we're all just sufferers. Yeah. And actually, he does a his his latest book is called that, and he he helpfully shows how. For all of us, if we get one of those unbalanced, it becomes really, really unhelpful. Mm. So if we think we're sufferers too much, we we actually forget that we're saints, and we kind of dwell and we have an entitlement culture and all sorts of stuff. Mm. You know, if we think we're just sinners, that then there, are, there we will be sinful in the way we treat others and all that kind of stuff. And actually, if we think if we overplay the saints category we will assume we have no problems with sin and I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And I mean, that's a really, real simplification of what is a really helpful book. But I think actually that helps cut through the class thing. Mm. If I'm always trying to see myself and everyone else, okay, how are they living out of those three? We are saints who also struggle with sin and sometimes fall into that identity of being sinners. And we all experience suffering, Mm. but Christ calls me to live a certain way in suffering that reveals that I'm a saint. Actually, that helps them with all everybody from every class, doesn't it? And how they perceive it. And um, I think that's been the challenge. I'm just toying with whether we do a little series on identity in September, and we look at those three areas and spend one Sunday on each. And then uh, how how do we positively live out that? And what what happens if we skew it and we get it wrong? Because I think we all do it. We just do it in different ways. You know, you, you've got the kind of you know, life sucks, life's hard. My background's been difficult you know, I'm I'm fighting against the system that can make you seem aggressive, you know, to someone who's not maybe experienced that. Although actually you might have been through the same hardships. Yeah. Um, But then you've also got the fact that nobody from any one class reacts the same way to the same hardships. Um, And I think partly that's where I would probably want to divorce a little bit the idea of class and that and think about that identity in terms of saint, sinner and sufferer. Yeah. Because um, all of us experience suffering and mm-hmm. um, it, it looks different, but we're also programmed by society and by our family and by our life experiences into a way to respond to that. But I don't think is necessarily gospel centered. So I think with everyone, you're constantly trying to wrestle and help them get fresh identity in the gospel. Um, but recognizing they're going to hear that through a certain lens they've got from the background. Um, yeah. It's like trying to juggle 15 balls at the same time, isn't it? And preach the Bible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is, oh, awesome, mate. As usual, this has been a tonic for me. I think you mentioned earlier about your blog being uh more help for you than the readers. This podcast is, I think, more help for me than than our therapy. Yeah, 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 yeah. it just helps me to process a few things. To it encourages me, and I'm just hoping that. Uh, people who listen uh, equally as encouraged as I am. It's been awesome chatting with you. Uh, I'll put a link to your blog post and that uh, yeah, book you've just mentioned as well. Because yeah. the both sound awesome, but hopefully you'll join us again uh, at a later date. But thanks very much for joining me on the In Context podcast.